Saints fans, Pelicans fans, let's go. This is the Black and Blue Report. Black. Bree is going to go deep. He's got Graham. Touchdown. Blue. Down the lane. Shoots. No. Tip follow in for Davis with three tenths of a second left. Welcome into the podcast for the fans, straight from the teams they love. It's good to see you guys, and uh, I didn't know we had Studio B here in our facility. Good setup. Now that I know where your guys' little office is, I can pop in here whenever I want. Well, we're playing through AD, and so everybody's going to have to adjust to that. Coaches, players, analysts, celebrities, and more. That guy's Anthony Mackie. I've gotten in many of our arguments about the Pelicans and the Saints uh, over the years. Harry County Jr. joins us here on the Black and Blue Report. Undoubtedly, to me, the Saints are the singular reason that New Orleans is back on the map. Hoda Kotb from the Today Show on NBC, our guest. You know, New Orleans gets in your blood. The Saints never leave it once they get in there. This is the Black and Blue Report, straight from the source. No appointment radio. Wherever, whenever. Now, from Studio B, or from wherever the Saints or Pelicans might be, here's Daniel Sellerson. What's up? Welcome into the Tuesday edition of the Black and Blue Report. Tuesday has become a day of rest for Sean Kelly, so I'm filling in once again. And man, I picked a good day to be hosting the show after what the Pelicans did last night. They snapped the Hawks' 19-game winning streak, 12-game winning streak on the road, and 12-game winning streak against the West, and it was their first loss since December 26. So the Pelicans are starting to become streak busters. They snapped the Clippers' six-game winning streak on Friday, and now the Hawks' streak last night. So much stuff to get to today regarding the Saints and the Pelicans. I hope everyone is having a good start to their Tuesday. I'll have Jim Meikenhofer on from Pelicans.com today to talk about the big win last night. And we'll talk about the rest of the week. Some big gains coming up against the Thunder Wednesday and Friday and also the Chicago Bulls on Saturday. Plus, we will continue to look back at Super Bowl 44. Every day this week, we will interview current and former players that will that were a part of the special team. And today, we welcome in former Saints linebacker Scott Shanley and tight end David Thomas. Before we get to those, let's recap the Pelicans' big win last night. The Pelicans improved to 26-22 and and are now just one game back of the Suns for the eighth spot in the Western Conference. Anthony Davis led the way with 29 points and 13 rebounds. It was his 11th straight 20-point game and 5th straight 2010 game. That's 20 points and 10 rebounds. He missed the Clippers game with that groin injury, and all I can say is he looked just fine last night. Tyreek Evans continues to play well at the point guard position with the absence of Drew Holiday. Tyreek with his fourth 12-assist game in the last five games and added 15 points to that. The Pelicans shot 50% from the field and hit nine threes, and they also had 52 points in the paint. Coming into the game, the Hawks averaged allowing just 39 points per game in the paint, so the Pelicans did a good job getting the ball inside there, and also were able to hit from outside again with those nine threes. Instead of going through the entire box score, you can get that on pelicans.com. Let's hear what the head coach had to say. Here's Sean Kelly with head coach Monty Williams following the win. Coach, congratulations. It'd be hard to be critical about any of the way your team played tonight. Yeah, but I can find a few <laughs> things. So, <laughs> um, but but I, I'm really 
pleased with the way that we covered um, the game plan. You know, they missed some shots early, um, but it takes some defense to force them into those shots. Um, they're about as good as any team in the NBA, and so we had to, you know, come with a great game plan and an hour A game and execution and all those things we talked about. Um, <clears throat> I like the fact that we had 30 assists. Um, you know, you got to make the pass and then you got to make the shot. Uh, we're plus 20 on the boards, and we had so many guys make contributions tonight. Um, a lot of signature plays on the floor, and um, you know, credit to those guys because they're they're a really good team. It, it takes a lot to to go through a whole month in the NBA and not lose a game. So uh, they may have been tired. I think they played three and four and. They've had some injuries, but I, again, I, I am really pleased with how we're playing and how we're growing um, on the floor in our practices and in our shoot arounds. All those things seem to lead to the fact that this team may be finding a personality here during this homestand. Well, we set a bar. You know, we, we've said that, you know, over a month ago. You know, when we play a certain way, we give ourselves a chance to win, and that, that involves uh, great effort, uh, everybody on the same page on defense, and when we share the ball on offense. Um, we can compete with anybody in the NBA, and so we know what the uh, we're excited about the ceiling of our team, and, and we just got to keep pushing and keep growing. Coach, was there a moment in the game tonight where you felt like you made your most concerted push, the one that would get you to the finish tonight? Well, probably the play that Omer made. You know, he he uh, had a couple of passes around the basket he, he couldn't handle, and then he fought for one and got the dunk. And I thought that kind of sent a message that you know it was going to be our night. Um, Dante made some energy plays. I thought the jump shot he made out of halftime uh, was a big shot for us because they come down and, you know, they get threes with Carroll and he just kept making shots and making plays around the basket. And overall, just sharing the ball on offense was, was good to see. Eric Gordon has been playing well lately. Last night he finished with 20 points and 7 assists. And he spoke to Sean and JD on the Pelicans radio network immediately following the win. Eric Gordon joins us courtside after a pretty darn good win, EG. Nice yeah, job, guys. Yeah, it was a good one for sure, for sure. Well, this is a team that had rolled in here with all this momentum. And, Eric, it was a pretty serious conversation to shoot around this morning. It seemed like there was a lot on the table that you all had to do in playing these guys. Take us through how you all wanted to get about this done. Yeah, you know, first thing, you know, when we had a, uh, when you see those guys went 19 in a row, you know, you, you got to figure out to break the rhythm in. What we did was we was attacking, and, uh, you know, luckily we played pretty good defense to where they weren't hitting a lot of threes early on in the game. But, you know, we tried to take them out, run them off the line, try to, because, uh, you know, they're the best three-point shooting team in the league, and, and uh, we try to break their rhythm throughout the game. Eric, you and your backcourt mate Tyreek Evans had 19 assists as a team. It was 30 tonight. That's back-to-back -back games. You guys have done a great job of moving the ball. Yeah, you know, we're learning, you know, off each other. We're both having fun, and, uh, you know, we're just trying to get better and better. We know we have to be better. Uh, we have to be playmakers throughout the game, and, and it's been fun. We, you know, me and him both having fun. What is it about beating these uh, elite teams here at home? You guys just welcome them in the door and then kick them on the backside on the way out. <laughs> right. You know, it, we're just a... Uh, you know, we just have this comfort zone where we're, you know, playing at home, and we just, you know, we're just playing well, and, and uh, we're just having fun, like I said. Eric, there was a key moment in the third. They pulled it within seven, um, and, and you guys had been up by 15. There was a timeout called. What were you able to reset at that moment and take this thing home? You know, just to keep on scoring. You know, they're going to always make – every, every good team is going to make a run, so we just got to keep on scoring and uh, keep on uh, running them off the three-point line on, as we play defense. 
The uh, back-to-back coming up against the Thunder. This is going to be big with regard to playoff standings. Um, what's it going to be like to play the same team right next to you in the standings like two nights in a row, basically? Yeah, it's going to be crucial. You know, we definitely have to win. We got we always got to take care of home. That's the first thing. And, uh, you know, we already beat them before. So we got, we got to keep on, uh, you know, being, we, we know what it takes to, uh, to get there. We, we just got to protect home, and we know what it is down the line when we're trying to make it to the playoffs. Is this one of those nights where you run home to watch SportsCenter because you guys knocking off the Hawks will probably be near the top, huh? Yeah, you know, this is a good win, like I said, but, you know, we just got to keep on pushing and try to make a good playoff run. Congratulations. Really enjoyed your work tonight, and as always, thanks for the visit, Eric. All right, thank you. Yep. The Pelicans have won six of seven and look to continue their winning ways tomorrow night in a huge matchup against the Oklahoma City Thunder. So we have lots to get to on this Tuesday. Let's keep the Pelicans talk rolling. When we come back, Jim Eikenhofer from Pelicans.com will help me recap the game. You're listening to the Black and Blue Report. Grab your bell bottoms and go back to the days of disco for 70s night at the Smoothie King Center. Join us as your Pelicans face off against Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and the Oklahoma City Thunder on Wednesday, February 4th at 7 p.m. The first 3,000 fans will receive a Pelicans yo-yo, and you won't want to miss the amazing Christopher and his life-size dancing village people puppets at halftime. Tickets are still available, so call 525-HOOP or visit pelicans.com to get your tickets today. Hi, I'm Lisa Albright. I'm 36 years old. I had the perfect life. It was everything I ever dreamed about. Until two weeks ago, I was standing in line at the grocery store, leaning over to empty my cart when I heard it. Mommy, why are her pants too big in the back? And that's when it hit me. I'm wearing mom jeans. Never again. I will look hot in yoga pants. That is my purpose. Blend it now. Try the new Firm and Burn chocolate peanut butter smoothie at Smoothie King. It's the tastiest way to get into those yoga pants. Smoothie King. Smoothies with a purpose. We're talking Pelicans basketball on the Black and Blue Report. We must continue talking about these Red Hawk Pelicans after they snapped the longest winning streak in the NBA last night, beating the Hawks 115-100. to And there is no one better to help me break it all down. He's Pelicans.com writer Jim Eichenhofer, and he joins me now from his 20-bedroom chateau at an undisclosed location. Jim, glad we're talking about a win this morning. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I think we've seen two of the best wins of the season, maybe the two best wins, um, at at least at home, with beating the Clippers Friday without Anthony Davis and then ending a 19-game winning streak last night. So, yeah, things are are definitely uh, looking up. I I think the last time I talked to you last week, we were talking about how things have changed and turned in a really nice direction, and it seems like the the Pelicans, other than that Denver game, have really continued on that same – same vein lately absolutely the pelicans have won six of their last seven again after defeating the hawks last night the hawks had a 19 game winning streak they were known for their unselfish play some say they were tired and hurt last night but in my mind the pelicans just outplayed them last night what did you take away from last night's game jim yeah i mean i thought going into the game you know it's it's obviously it was a result that caught everyone's attention around the league but going into the game i thought that uh, the Hawks were definitely due for a, a clunker-type game. And I thought the way this game started out, they didn't shoot the ball well. They kind of put themselves in a hole. So, And I thought one of the things I noticed the most from the Pelicans was the they played with so much energy last night. And they've, it's something that they've done pretty consistently 
um, the last couple of weeks, especially when they play at home. So I think they they outplayed the Hawks in, in a lot of ways, and I think they played played a little harder than Atlanta did. So you combine the execution with the intensity the Pelicans had, and then you end up with a 15-point win. So it was it was really nice to see. One of those guys that uh, helped contribute to the win was, of course, Anthony Davis. 11 straight 20-point games for him. His fifth straight 20-10 and 10 game, he was recovering from that groin injury, missed the Clippers game. Did you notice him looking like he was in any pain? Because uh, he looked fine to me last night. Yeah, no doubt. He seemed like he was fine, and he said after the game that he didn't have any ill effects of the groin injury. So, I mean, I think it was it turned out really as well as you could expect. The fact that he, he sat out a game, got a few extra days of rest, but they, the Pelicans also won the game that he didn't play in, so they didn't lose any ground in terms of the standings. So, But, yeah, he seemed like he was fine, and he seemed like he didn't have any um, negative things to say about you know the Im- injury impacting him in any way whatsoever last night. Now another guy playing well right now is Tyreek Evans. He's dished out 12 assists in four of his last five games. He's playing point guard most of the time with the injury to Drew Holiday. What has clicked with Tyreek since Drew went down? I think some of it is just the understanding of of um, moving the ball. I mean, he sometimes he gets into a mode where he goes one-on-one or he tries to, to take it to the rim and he doesn't see the floor as well. For, for whatever reason, it seems like lately he's been he's always had his head up. He hasn't been getting in situations where he's trying to score over a couple guys or trying to drive around a couple guys. So um, overall, I think that's just been the difference for, with him. Is It's amazing to see. I think his career high in assists is maybe 15, mm-hmm. and he's had three or four games of 12 assists just in the last um, week and a half. So it, it's been uh, it's been really impressive the way he's been setting up other guys for open shots. Do you think that's helped with Eric Gordon? Because lately, you know, it seems like his confidence is up and he's been shooting well. Is that part of Tyreek and how he's able to distribute the ball? It could be. It could be. It seems like Eric has, it's been kind of a combination lately that Eric has been making a lot of, almost all of his open shots. And he's also made some really tough shots. Um, The Clippers game, it seemed like he was in a situation a few times where the shot clock was running down and the team needed him to create something and especially in crunch time. And he was able to come through and make, make um, some big shots and come through with plays that were um, huge in, in uh, New Orleans getting those victories. Now, another guy that we might not notice he's doing well in the stat sheet, but uh, is playing pretty well right now is Dante Cunningham. He started 13 games so far for the Pelicans since joining the team last month. And the Pelicans are nine and four when he's starting. What has Dante given us at the three spot that we might not have had before he was on the team? I think the biggest thing is he's given given the team some someone that they can rely on that they pretty much know every single game of what he's going to do. It seemed like earlier in the season there was a lot of mixing and matching and trying to come up with different solutions from game to game depending on the matchups and depending on the opponent. But I think really Dante and Quincy Pondexter have – have put uh, the Pelicans in a position now where you don't really have to worry about that three spot anymore that, you know, that, you know, those guys might not be the most, um, you know, the guys that jump off the page every game and do stuff that wows you, but they just have been so solid. And um, as the fans at home, I think have seen a lot lately with how much we've been here in the last couple of weeks, 
those two guys always bring energy. They always bring a, a lot of hustle. And um, I noticed in, it seemed like in the Clippers game there was a few plays where Dante and Quincy had no business getting to a loose ball or getting to a rebound because there might have been two or three other Clippers there, but they seemed to keep getting to those those balls and making those plays. So um, I think that's probably the biggest thing that Dante's brought is just um, a guy that you know puts his hard hat on and he, he brings it every night. As I mentioned, Jim, this team has won six of seven. Are the Pelicans turning a corner? It seems like this is the team that we expected to see at the beginning of the season. I think so, and I think, um, you know, as we've talked about a lot this season, there's been a, a drastic difference between the way they've played at home and the way they've played on the road. Um, if you look at the schedule coming up, I don't want to get too far down the road, but um, there, there's a lot more home games coming up. There's a lot more games coming up against teams that are below 500. I know that hasn't been it hasn't been a situation where you can say like, okay, well, we're playing against bad teams, so there, there's going to be wins. But, I mean, the way they've played at home, I'm pretty optimistic looking at what's coming up over the next few weeks. Um, even though this week is, you know, you got, you got a couple of really tough games against um, Oklahoma City and then Chicago. But um, if I think a, lot of, a few of the players have mentioned this lately that really they just need to keep playing the way they have been and, and things are going to be looking up. And I think they'll make even more of, of, a, of an impact in the playoff race. Well, how important are these last five games before the All-Star break? Four of the five are at home. Um, we have a two-game stretch with the Thunder, a rare home-and-home. Home. Bulls on Saturday and Pacers and Jazz next week, especially with the Suns. We're only one game back of them, and the Thunder are two games back of us. A lot of tiebreaker um, things on the line for that. How crucial are these next three games this week and the remaining five games before the break? Yeah, I think it's big, especially with um... – you have such a long all-star break this year that it would be huge to go into that with a lot of momentum. Um, these games against Oklahoma City are very big because right now um, the New Orleans has a two-game lead on Oklahoma City. So, you know, you want to win every game, but if they can win at least one of them, it would be big. Oklahoma City really needs to. I know there's a lot of time left in the season, but you would think from their perspective they know that if they split these two games that they're not really making any progress at all and they'd be that that would be clinching the tiebreaker for the Pelicans if they just win one of these two. So, um, I mean, it's a big stretch. After you play the Bulls, who are a very good team on Saturday, you have two games next week against um, Utah and Indiana, two teams that are pretty far below 500. So, I mean, you'd, you'd hope that uh, you, you can win a couple of these games this week and then, and then do well next week and then, and then have a lot of momentum going into the All-Star break. And it would re it would really be nice from to me if they can be in eighth place by the time the All Star break comes, and then you can build from there uh, after you get that nice eight or nine days off. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with you there. That's Pelicans.com writer Jim Eichenhofer here on the Black and Blue Report. Jim, I'll let you get back to your croquet game, and I'll see you at the Smoothie King <laughs> Center tomorrow. <laughs> I think someone have to would have to explain the rules of croquet to me before. I tried to play, but but I appreciate the sentiment, and it, and uh, it was good talking to you. Okay, Jim, I would help you with that, but I don't know how to play either, so maybe we'll learn together one of these days. <laughs> All right, Jim, All right, appreciate it. Good. When we come back, care. former Saints linebacker Scott Shanley takes us down memory lane to talk about Super Bowl 44, and then former Saints tight end David Thomas will do the same with Sean Kelly. More Black and Blue Report coming up.
Mardi Gras is just around the corner, and Shreveport-Bossier City invites you to experience Mardi Gras in the Arklatex, starting with the Crew of Centaur Parade on Saturday, February 7th. Cap it off with the Crew of Gemini Parade on Saturday, February 14th. Check out hotels and other things to do at Shreveport-Bossier.org or call 888-45-VISIT. All-Star Electric is lighting up the future with the latest in LED lighting. All-Star Electric specializes in the installation and conversion of the newest LED lighting products. This lasting investment is virtually maintenance-free and offers significant savings on your next electricity bill. This is Tim Blanchard, president of All-Star Electric. Let us evaluate your building, parking lot, or home for an LED conversion because we know we can save you some money. We're talking Saints football on the Black and Blue Report. Welcome back to the show. We continue to stroll down memory lane this week as this is the five-year anniversary of the Saints hoisting the Lombardi Trophy in Miami. And here to talk about his favorite memories is Scott Shanley, former Saints linebacker. Scott, welcome back to the show, and thanks for joining me. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. No problem. I want to start with a generic question, but it could be tough for you to answer. What was your favorite moment from that Super Bowl? What memory always comes up first when you think about that day? Oh, without a doubt, I think as soon as that clock struck zero and just to see the excitement on our coaches and, and teammates' faces and everybody running and jumping for joy like little kids and giving each other hugs and, and uh, embracing, I think, that moment. Uh, when you put in so much time in the off season and go through so many games in the regular season and fight through um, you know, the NFC Championship game like we did to get to the Super Bowl and then to be a quarterback like Peyton Manning, you just feel a sense of accomplishment like you've never felt. So I think as soon as that clock struck zero and you knew uh, you had accomplished what so many people set out to accomplish, it's an amazing feeling. Now, uh, when I talked to you last week, you talked about the Saints and the I'm not Saints, the Patriots and Seahawks, what they would be looking forward to that week of the Super Bowl with media day and all that. I want to talk about the day of the game. What's going through your mind? Is it nerves? Is it anxiety? You just want to kick off and get ready? What's going through your head the day of the Super Bowl? I think the, the toughest part about the Super Bowl is there's no doubt you, you get more nervous for it than any other game because it's 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 do or die time. I mean, there's no, there's no guarantee you're ever going to get back to that point. And the last thing you want to do is to make it to that point and to miss out on a chance to win a championship. So it is nerve-wracking, but at the same time, you have so much time during the day. But You know, you play a night game, and then the, the, the pregame festivities are long, and then the halftime is extra long. So it's a lot of mental toughness and how can you stay into the game without psyching yourself out. And that was one of the things we did well as a team. I thought we had a lot of uh, good leaders, and we were very mentally tough, and the coaches did a great job of preparing us for what was in store as far as having all the time that we were going to have to just sit there and not play football. So I think we were very well prepared. Once the game started, did the nerves calm down a little bit? Did it kind of start to feel like just a normal football game, or was there still a little bit of it knowing that it was the Super Bowl? No, I think for for us, um, you know, you, you come out of the tunnel and you're going through pregame, and, you know, it feels like another game until you look around and there's all these famous faces on the sideline and there's cameras going everywhere. And, uh you know, so you do step back a few times and say, wow, you know, we're here, we're in the Super Bowl. But after that ball's kicked off and you're out there and you're hearing the defensive call or the offensive call, um, I think you really settle down. You're back to playing a game. 
and you're mentally focused on on your assignment. And uh, so I think once that once you're in, involved in the game, it's another NFL football game. It's obviously a big football game, but but you know you still have to stay even keel and not get too hyped up because you still have a job to do. We're talking with Scott Shanley, former Saints linebacker and Super Bowl champion. Scott, you're down 10-6 at the half. What was Coach's message to you guys at the half? Well, I remember Coach being very positive, and, and we were very positive as a team. The, the way that game started off, it wasn't looking good for anybody. So we felt like we came out of the first half um, with a little bit of victory, even though we were down. Um, we got down really early in the game, and, and things weren't looking good. We were on our heels a little bit defensively, and, and you never want to be on your heels against a Peyton Manning-led offense. And, and towards the end of that first half, uh, we really felt the momentum start to change. We made a, a, a nice stop on, on defense and kept the Colts from getting any more points, and our offense was starting to come along. And so we really felt good about where we were heading into halftime. All right, then after halftime, the onside kick, you guys recover. Did that momentum, was that the big game changer for you guys as far as uh, mentally, you guys knowing that, okay, this is our chance, this is our time to take over this game? Yeah, I think so. I think it was one of those situations where, you know, people talked about it was a possibility of us doing that throughout the week of practice. If the if the moment came up, you know, Coach Payne was going to make that call, and and we were all on board, and everybody believed that to beat a beat a Peyton Manning led team, you have to find a way to steal a couple of possessions, and whether it's getting fumbles or interceptions, and if that doesn't happen, you have to you have to generate something. In the special teams, it was it was doing an onside kick and. I just feel like it was a perfect time. It it was a great call, and usually, you know, people say it's a great call because it worked. But I truly believe, even if it didn't work, I think the way the game had had kind of flipped momentum going into halftime, I still feel like we would have found a way to win that game. But it was obviously a big catalyst to to uh, you know just building on that momentum that we had seized going into halftime. Yeah, no doubt about that. When it's finally over and y'all were crowned Super Bowl champs, without getting into too much detail, what was that night like? Did you get any sleep? What was just the the, the next 24 hours like for you and the team? Yeah, I, I remember not getting any sleep. Mm-hmm. And and I purposely wanted it that way. We had a team celebration back at the hotel, and my uh, family was in town. And I just remember thinking, man, I, I want to stay up all night. I don't want this night to end because I knew as soon as I went to sleep and woke and woke up, we were going to be on to the next season, and, and that night was going to be over. And I just remember after the game even just sitting in my in my uniform for the longest time and, and not wanting that night to end because you know you know eventually you're going to be on to the next season and worrying about doing it again, and I just wanted to let that night to last as long as possible. So it was a great night, and uh, you know to, to have a team party back at the hotel and celebrate that night with teammates and family, it was a, it was a special deal. And then you have the parade. You bring the Lombardi Trophy back to New Orleans. Some say over 800,000 people were there celebrating with you guys. What was the moment like for you guys when you were in the parade? Well, the parade was uh, it was shocking to me. I really had no expectations as to what was going to occur in the parade. I know, you know, before we'd won the Super Bowl, you kind of see these other teams. They drive down a couple blocks of a, of a street, and then they get up, and they might stand on some steps of a, of a building and mm-hmm. give a speech, and so I really didn't know what was going to go on. And when we jumped on this float and it was packed with beads and we were on there for five or six hours and to see the, the amount of people there, the turnout for this parade, it was unbelievable. And it was, I always tell people that Super Bowl celebration, that parade is the, is the measuring stick for how a parade should be. And I think, I don't know if there'll ever be a parade that quite matches uh, 
what we experienced that night. Absolutely, I don't think so. They were talking about the Super Bowl before when Pittsburgh won. They were saying maybe half of that with that many people, 350,000. You guys exceeded that over 800,000 people, and obviously a great moment for this city. That's Scott Shanley, linebacker on the Super Bowl-winning Saints team. Scott led all the linebackers with nine tackles. Scott, thank you so much for sharing some of your Super Bowl memories with us. Absolutely. I enjoyed it. Anytime. Thank you. All right. We'll be back in one minute. I'm Linda, mother of two beautiful 13-year-old twins. While my son has brown hair and blue eyes and my daughter has blonde with green eyes, they both share one identical DNA trait. I hate spinach. No one leaves the table until you finish your vegetables. Getting my kids to want to eat vegetables, that's my purpose. Blend it now. Try the new veggie blends at Smoothie King. It's the tastiest way to get your kids to love vegetables. Smoothie King. Smoothies with a purpose. In New Orleans, food is more than a passion. It's a tradition. And Zatarans has been part of that tradition for 125 years. From jambalaya and dirty rice to crab boil and more, Zatarans has been jazzing up dinner since before there was jazz. And we're excited about what next season might bring. Jazz it up tonight with Zatarans, proud sponsor of the New Orleans Pelicans. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. Here's Sean Kelly. Our next guest here on the Black and Blue Report, of course, is a well-known name in these parts, and that, of course, is former Saints tight end David Thomas, a Super Bowl champion of five years ago as we begin to look back. David, welcome in. Is, can you believe it's been five years now? Yeah, it's hard to believe. It's, uh, it's, it's These five years have gone by fast, and it's, it's, it's every week, every year when the Super Bowl week comes up, though, there's a lot of good memories that come along with that. Do you ever get tired of talking about it? No, that's, that's one of those things that I think because there was so much hard work and, and so much that goes into being a part of a team like that, that it, it's always fun to talk about. It's always fun to reminisce about, about what happened that season and uh, just just all the all the guys on the team and the coaches. Just We, we put in a lot of work together, and, and that was a special group of men to, to be able to come together and, and put together a season like that. Bonded for life, is that fair to say? Absolutely. Uh you know, Joe Vett always says that you, when you win a Super Bowl, you walk together forever. And and then I think that that's very fitting of that team, just the, the how tight-knit we were and just, just how unified we were. What You know, when you look back now, um, what was it like to be traded right before the start of the regular season? And did you have any idea or were you thinking, I'm going to a Super Bowl team? Honestly, I didn't know a whole lot about the situation I was going into. Um you know, I knew I knew who Drew was. You know, he his reputation obviously stood out, and, and I knew the Saints had a great offense. Uh, but the city of New Orleans, you know, I, I'd, I'd never been there. I didn't know anything about the city of New Orleans outside of the stereotypical Mar- Mardi Gras and Bourbon Street. Uh, but once once I got down there, and then I got my family moved down there, we really just fell in love with with the city and and fell in love with the people there. And, and it was it was incredible to to be a to be so welcomed by, by my teammates, but also the city. And and just uh, to be able to spend four years there was were four of the best years of our life. David, did you guys ever feel like during the regular season, oh, we got this, we're going to go? Well, I mean, I, I, when we started 13-0, that was obviously a pretty big indicator. But, but I think, you know, 
the calm we felt at the end of the season, you know, even though we started 13-0 and finished on a three-game losing streak, I think the, the calm and the the lack of panic at that point. You know, a lot of teams, I think, when you when you finish the season 0-3, a lot of the, a lot of coaches, a lot of teams probably would have pushed the panic button and and started questioning everything we had done to that point and worrying about, you know, have we peaked too early? But but Sean really, he just he was he was steady and and his leadership really just guided us down the down the path and and getting us rolling against Arizona and then against Minnesota and on to the Super Bowl. It really seemed like even with that three-game losing streak and the fact that New Orleans had never been in that position before, it's as almost as if you all went about it as as veteran championship-type guys. I, I know that you had some background with the Patriots, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but for the most part, nobody had been there before, um, but yet you all seem to act like you've been there before. How was that? Well, I mean, there, there, there wasn't a lot of guys on the team that had been on a Super Bowl caliber team, and so, but, but I know Sean had been to the Super Bowl in his time with the Giants, and so there was, there was a, there was a group of people that really kind of understood what it took, and and they were just very calm and steady about we got to remain the course. We are, we're going to stick with our identity. We're going to stick with what's brought us this far, and and we kind of went through a rough patch there at the end of the year, but, but. The proof was in the pudding at that point, where where the the season a thirteen and three season, regardless of how you finish, you obviously did a lot of things right leading up to that, and so just reminding ourselves that to stick with, to trust the trust our plan and trust our process that have brought us that far was was really the the plan going in, and it and it worked. David, when you finally all got to South Florida, what do you remember more vividly: the week leading up to the Super Bowl or the game itself? I think the, I think I remember the game itself more than anything, and and just the the whole the whole the whole day, just the whole day of going through the whole process of meetings in the morning, and then going to the stadium, and then after the game, playing on the field with my kids, and and the the party afterwards. I mean, I think the whole week was just kind of a blur because you go from from meetings to media to practice back to the hotel. The more it's just kind of you're all over the place. But once you once you finally get to game day, you're you're in a familiar routine. You're in a familiar process, and so once you get to once you get to game day, the haze in the barn, and, and you just you know you've done everything you can to be ready, and you just go out there and play. You make it seem to be normal on game day. Well, that's that's the idea anyway. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget. You know, on a night game, when when you play in a night game, you have all afternoon where you're just kind of sitting around the hotel, and and I, I mean, I'll, I'll never forget. I I was sitting around flipping the channels. And I ended up watching Jersey Shore, a marathon of Jersey Shore. I'd never watched it before, and, and I, I always thought, what a stupid show. But then I, I, I kind of got myself. I'd flip through the channels looking for anything else, and I'd always end up back there watching that, that stupid reality show. But but that's what I watched getting ready for the Super Bowl, I guess. And, and it, I guess it worked out okay, right? Yeah, I, I'd say it worked out pretty good. And I don't think I'd, <laughs> I'd ever imagine Jersey Shore would be a part of our conversation today, quite honestly. You know, David. you never know where this is going to go. When the game, oh, as you're getting close to game time, I mean, there are normal game jitters or normal nervous energy, um, but was it ramped up for you in any way just because it was the biggest game on the biggest stage? You know, I'm not, I'm not, a, I was never, a, as a player, my emotions were never really high or really low. So, you know, going into the game, I was always, my emo was always very steady. And so, you know, the, the pregame and all that, I tried to just treat it and I had my routine. I knew, at what point I would go out and do my warm up and 
I try to just really trust my trust my routine and trust my process. But it even you know I played in the national championship. I went to the, with the Patriots, so I had a little bit of experience in those type of games. But when you're when you're on the field and you see Queen Latifah and Carrie Underwood singing the Star Spangled Banner and uh, America the Beautiful, all the songs pregame, it, it definitely kind of hits that man. This is this is a this is a little different than a, than a normal football game. How vividly do you remember your catch? I mean that's that's probably the play that sticks out the most outside of uh, being at the last play where we took a knee and, and at that point we were the we were the world champions. But I uh, just remember running on being on the left side of the formation, running a little stick route and and getting down inside the five and and at the, at the time thinking, man, I wish I'd have scored there. But then the next play, shock, shock caught the quick slant and and we got the touchdown there. So. After that, was, uh, that was a big series. After you finally got your hands on the ball, did the did the game change a little bit? Did did you feel like you felt more comfortable? I guess at that point. No, I mean at that point it was the second half. I think we were into the we were into the rhythm of the game and, mm-hmm. and everything was. And at that point, the tide was starting to turn in our favor, and and I think at that point it was just it was a third or fourth third quarter at that point, and we were just back in the rhythm of the game and 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 in the flow of everything. Speaking of the second half, there's all this talk again about the ambush onside kick, uh, and I know they're having a lot of fun with it down here, looking back on it now five years back. Uh, you know, I don't quite know what you all did during halftime if you were in position groups, offense, defense, or whatever, but was there a moment where Sean Payton walked in and said, uh, this is what we're going to do, and this is what's going to happen, and this is how we're going to go on to win the game? Yeah, I mean, that was one of the first things he talked about when we when we all got together as a team was, look, um, we're going to we're going to kick off start start second half and and we're going to run ambush and so offense be ready we're going to get the ball and then we'll go score and that was just kind of the I think Sean how calm he was and you know and you think about you're calling an onside kick start the second half of the Super Bowl the biggest game of your career but just the confidence and calm that he showed in, in a situation where he he could have been anything but just really gave us confidence and, and allowed us to. To trust and know that this was that he he had confidence in us, he had faith in us, and, and all we had to do was go out and execute. All right, I get all that, but there had to be some moment of shock or some shock value in that announcement, correct? You know, a little bit, just because he had been saying for for weeks, we're going to run it, we're going to run it, we're going to run it, and it, we just never had the opportunity, never presented itself. And then, uh, you know, he, he he said leading up that week, leading up, we're going to run ambush during the game, so just be ready, just be ready, we're going to call it. And when he's, you know, I think it, I think when it kind of, when it got to that point, it was kind of like, uh, I guess we're not going to run it. It's a Super Bowl. He wouldn't call it a Super Bowl. He's just, you know, but then he said it, and it's like, oh, he's serious. I guess we are. Yeah, we're going to do this, all right? I guess we better be ready. <laughs> the pride of West uh, Texas here with us, David Thomas on the Black and Blue Report. Uh, David, how often do you uh, wear the Super Bowl ring? Not too often. It uh, it'll come out for special occasions. If I'm going to a, a you know some kind of event where I know people will want to see it, or speaking engagements where where there's, or I, I probably show it to kids more than any than anybody. You know, anytime I go speak to a group of kids, that's that's one of the questions I always have. Do you have your Super Bowl ring with you? So I always try to take it with me and, and pass it around, let them look at it, and it's something that. Um, I don't wear it often, but but every time I do, it it definitely brings back memories and just highlight so many so many cool things that uh, that I was able to be a part of there in New Orleans. 
One of the cool things that uh, the guys have been saying that they were a part of actually happened when the team came home. Uh, they remember the parade vividly. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was – I had never been – that was our first year in New Orleans, so I've never been – I've never been in a parade or to a parade or anything Mardi Gras related uh, in New Orleans. And so that, that parade, I would say that parade kind of set my, set my bar pretty high for Mardi Gras parades. You know, it's uh, just the but, – but also just the, the outpouring of support from the fans. I mean, I think everybody understands how much – how closely knit the, the New Orleans Saints and the city of New Orleans and that whole region are. But uh, the number of people that showed up and just even, – even the weeks and months and years following, just how many stories I've heard from different people about how – you know how what that Super Bowl meant to them as a fan and as a as as someone that's from Louisiana or as someone that's from New Orleans. It's just there's so many incredible stories and so much appreciation and support from those from those people. And and I think at the time we all just kind of thought, especially me, not being not having lived in New Orleans for very long when we did win the Super Bowl. I, I think at the time I just kind of thought this is just a football game and, and the fans are excited, but it really meant a lot to them and. And it, it really signified a lot more than just a, a football game for all for a lot of those fans. David, Sean Payton, and others uh, on that team when they sign autographs now they they write forty four in Roman numerals beneath their name. Do you do something like that? Yeah, I mean if it's a if it's a Super Bowl, an item of Super Bowl memorabilia or something like that, then I'll definitely write you know XLIB champs. That's that's forty Super Bowl forty four champs. That's that is awesome. All right, Sean, thank you very much. When we come back, I'll wrap up this Tuesday edition of the Black and Blue Report. <laughs> you hear that? Yeah, that's the sound of Mardi Gras, baby. Throw it something! <laughs> Just something about the tradition of it all. Even though Fat Tuesday and Cash Crew scratch off from the lottery, you could be feeling like a king with up to $3,000 or even $12,000 in your back pocket. Stop and pick up Fat Tuesday and Cash Crew today. Now that's better than the good beads, baby. Must be at least 21 to purchase. The New Orleans Pelicans are having a sale. Right now, pick any three games for as low as $24 with the Special Man plan. I want to go to the Thunder Bulls and Pacers. You have to see the Special Man. Let him have it. With no problem. Say, I say, you say, I say. Get your Pelicans three-game plan today. See the special man. I got the $24. Let them have it. We'll put you in a great seat today with no problem. Visit pelicans.com to get your special man plan today. This is Pelicans forward Ryan Anderson, and you're listening to the Black and Blue Report. Well, overall, a very happy show this morning. We talked about a Pelicans win, and we look back at Super Bowl 44 with the help of Scott Shanley and David Thomas. Tomorrow, we will continue our look back at Super Bowl 44 as I will talk with a man whose legs helped bring a title to New Orleans, Garrett Harley, and Sean will talk with Will Smith, the football player, of course, not the actor. Plus, it's a Wesley Wednesday, which means David Wesley from Fox Sports New Orleans will help preview the Pelicans' Thunder game from the Smoothie King Center. And speaking of the center, the crowd has been tremendous the last few games, and let's keep that going tomorrow night against the Thunder. Come shake your groove thing on 70s night at the SKC. The first 3,000 fans in attendance will receive a Pelicans yo-yo, plus you'll get to see the amazing Christopher 
perform at halftime. More importantly, you have the chance to see the Pelicans try and gain another game on the Thunder. So I hope everyone stays warm on this Tuesday, and I thank you for spending part of your day with me. Sean Kelly is back tomorrow, and until then, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to the Black and Blue Report, the podcast for Saints and Pelicans fans. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Black and Blue Report. If all goes well, we'll be back tomorrow. Tune in each weekday at 12 p.m. or at your convenience exclusively online at NewOrleansSaints.com and Pelicans.com. Follow your teams direct from the source, the Black and Blue Report. 